0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel 9, 14 to 10:16. You can find it in your pew Bibles, or you can pull it up on your devices. The ESV version of the text will appear on the screen. And again, that's Samuel 9, 14 to 10:16. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, "'Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me.' When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, "'Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people.' Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house?" Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel, and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof. "'Get up, that I may send you on your way.' So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, "'Tell the servant to pass on before us, "'and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, "'that I may make known to you the word of God.' Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, "'Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel?' and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies, and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin of and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gilbeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines." And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gilbeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. May God bless the reading of his word. That was really long. (laughs) Minister Pat will now preach on the topic of a good start from 1 Samuel. Minister Pat.
1: Good morning, Crossbridge. Today we are in the book of Samuel and kicking off a new sermon series: The, the Bad, the Good, and the Ugly. We find in 1st and 2nd Samuel the origin story of kingship in biblical Israel. When read together, the books of Samuel lead us from the period of the Judges to the rise of Israel's monarchy. The author of Samuel spares no effort to reveal David as a good king among Israel's kings foretold back in Deuteronomy 17. David is shown to be God's legitimate choice for the throne through whom the Davidic covenant would be established. In the preceding chapter of today's reading, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find the theological summit of the book. Before David, there was Samuel. But no matter how well Samuel led the people, as judge, he was no king. The people under Samuel's judgeship pressed him for a change of government, from judgeship to kingship. The elders of Israel compelled Samuel to appoint for them a king to rule over them. Israel wanted to be just like the surrounding nations. If they had kings... Israel wanted kings. Now Samuel objected. The people's request for a king purely proved that the spiritual condition of the people was in decline. They were assimilating the pagan and syncretistic ways of their neighbors. In other words, oh. In other words, the Israelites were forgetting about their God. And when Samuel asked God what to do, the Lord responded saying, quote, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. 1 Samuel 8, 7. The Lord commands Samuel to bend to the will of the people and to explain to them both the cost and the content consequence of a king. First, in Deuteronomy 17, verses 15 to 20, we have God's guidelines for a king. Let me summarize. A king should be an Israelite, should not amass horses or aspire to become a military superpower, should not take many wives, should not hoard silver and gold, and should write a copy of the Torah for himself in front of all the priests but in first samuel 8 verses 10 to 18 samuel forewarns the people for the rejection of the true living god king in heaven they will not get the king that they're asking for they're going to get the king that they deserve samuel shows how each king falls short of god's standard found in deuteronomy He exposes the desperate grasp for power. The human king was supposed to be an earthly representative of the heavenly king. Saul, the man chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel, ultimately is the wrong man for the job. Nevertheless, God allowed the Israelites to fall into this pit they've dug for themselves. And by their struggle, their faith would be refined. Finally, the books of Samuel reveal God's wisdom on the matters of change and transitions. Now, change is a process that is external to the individual, and transition is what a person experiences internally. Changes can be predictable and manageable, but transitions can be emotional and unpredictable. And so the complexity of change corresponds with the number of people involved. So in these overgeneralized terms, you begin to get a picture of the challenge that Israel faced in becoming a monarchy. In today's passage, we see how God addressed individuals and established signs, both privately and publicly, to bring about a substantial change of government using sometimes confused, hurt, or even reluctant people. Join me in verse 10, verse 2. After emptying a flask of oil on Saul's head, Samuel gives Saul the news, saying, you are now anointed king over God's people, his heritage. Now, you don't have to be very creative to imagine what Saul's response was. You say, "Uh, really? Wow, How's that going to happen? And then in verse 7, Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. You see, there's lots of signs in today's passage. And understanding these signs is the primary focus of today's message. We will answer the questions. What are these signs? And how do those signs relate to God's favor? What are the signs, and how do they help us to understand God's favor? Time is short, so I'm just going to jump right in after this prayer. Our God in heaven, as we begin this new series, we thank you for the wisdom that we draw from lives of Saul, David, and Solomon. God, as we look at your will for Saul and the three signs he received, I pray you provide greater clarity in our lives because it can be quite frightening to follow your will. God, I pray you would help each of us discern your direction and leading in our lives, and that we'd be willing to trust and follow your lead. We want to believe, help our faith, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Saul, the son of Kish, has arrived in the land of Zuf. He and his servants are exhausted, and they're out of food. Saul is discouraged because he was about to return to his father in shame. He had searched but failed to find his dad's donkeys. But thankfully, there was a man of God in that city who could divine and tell him where those donkeys are. But Saul must have wondered, "Uh, how am I going to find and how am I going to get an audience with this prophet? And for Saul's sake, God made all the arrangements. To Saul, the events in the second half of chapter 9 of 1 Samuel were rapid fire and confusing. The donkeys were found, a feast was prepared in his honor, and he spent the night in the penthouse suite. Saul was relieved. He was fed and now rested. And now he was ready to receive this unbelievable and shocking message from Samuel. Israel would no longer be led by judges. The next leader would be a king. And Saul, you're that king. Now, Saul must have looked absolutely incredulous. And and I can't blame him for feeling quite skeptical about this. Now, could Saul really trust what Samuel was telling him? And to his anxiety... God provided three signs, and collectively those three signs were the sign, the evidence, that very proof that Saul would become Israel's first king. Now, to identify that first sign of the three, we need to look at why Saul was out looking for those donkeys in the first place, and what difference does finding them make. Samuel reveals to Saul in, chapters, in chapter 10, verse 2, a message he will receive Later that same day, the donkeys are found and your dad is no longer worried about them. He's now worried about you because you've been gone so long. So the first sign is the truthfulness of God through the prophet's utterance. The second sign is the gift that he would receive. It was common practice in the time of the Bible to give gifts to a king. Those who ruled over the wise men directed them to bring gifts to Jesus. The giving of gifts gifts was a sign of honor. Even if the men whom Saul was about to meet on the way, even if they don't have any idea of the significance of the gifts that they're giving. Now, the third sign is the Holy Spirit who falls upon Saul. And from these three signs, we can discern a pattern of God's activity. According to his divine benevolence, God purposefully works in ways that can be seen, it can be understood, and therefore be known. We we see that here, and also much more so in the New Testament. In chapter 9, Saul has walked across Israel looking for his dad's donkeys. Now, clearly he's been preoccupied for days. And so Saul could have easily said to Samuel, "Hey, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I can't be your king. My dad needs me at home to, you know, take care of the ranch. He needs me to watch over all the workers as they work the fields, and you can imagine that list just going on and on." So God anticipated these objections, and so He spoke through His prophet Samuel, saying, "Hey, don't worry about the donkeys." I've got a different plan for you. In fact, I'm preparing you to do something that is so different and so important that I'm going to need your full attention. And so in our lives, God does the same thing, doesn't he? He goes before us and he prepares the way. See, God understands your needs. He gives you a sign by meeting your needs your concerns, so that you can keep going on. You see, he gives us this peace of God, and we should let the peace of God rule in our hearts. When you have that sense of God's peace, you're now able to keep going. To help Saul... uh Can you help me advance the slide one To help Saul appreciate and embrace his calling, God provides him a second sign. We read this in verses 3 to 4. Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. You see, the second sign was this gift. That Saul receives. And and note that the way that these gifts are given are to purposefully invoke this idea of kingship. Of course, the bread that's received is meant as food to sustain Saul. But the precise fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy indicates that God is taking care of him and is providing for his needs. Now, do you find it curious that in this group of three men— that the one that was responsible for carrying three loaves gives up two to Saul. Uh, Would that have made sense to his companions? Um, Literally, that one guy sacrificed their lunch in order to take care of Saul. Now, it seems that that was intended, that was something that Saul noticed too, and it was intended for Saul to, to interpret it as like, hey, keep going. You're on the right path. You're going the right way. Next slide. So what signs does God give Saul? Well, first, the truthfulness of God is fulfilled in the prophecy, and second, the gift of honor. And finally, a third sign. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit. And so listen up, okay? If God is calling you to something new, and especially something big, you are going to need supernatural power. And this is what I mean whenever we talk about the strength of the Lord. How are we doing things in the strength of the Lord? You should be expecting to accomplish things in God. If you want to do it for God, you're going to need more than just what you have in your own strength. And as Much as we know that we need the Holy Spirit, we seldom know when God is going to bring it. Often that strength comes in the moment. Rarely does it come too far in advance. God just doesn't seem to work that way. Think about Peter as he's stepping out of the boat and onto the water. Did he develop his confidence by practicing beforehand? Or think about those priests that were responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant across the Red Sea. See, Moses tells us that the water did not start to pull back until their feet were wet. In each case, God's call is clear. The strength of the Lord arrives in time. You must step out in faith. But following God's will can be quite frightening. As we read in verse 9 that God gave him another heart. What does that even mean? Don't mistake that with a regenerated heart that Paul fondly talks about in his epistles. Don't simply, that assume, don't simply assume that just because the Holy Spirit is involved and it acts on Saul's heart that somehow Saul is born again. He is not. At least I'm not convinced of that. Check the sequence of events in our text. In verse 6, Samuel said it will be in the future, and it didn't happen when the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. You see, it was later. It was only after Samuel had finished, had turned around and started walking away, did God give Saul another heart. So what happened to Saul? You see, I believe God made Saul fit for the task of being a king. God changed this manager of donkeys and made him capable of leading a nation. More specifically, another heart speaks to a new mindset, a new attitude, and a new set of aptitudes. And so Crossbridge, you know, I, you don't need me to tell you that we are living in an unprecedented time of history, not only just out there with the global health crisis, and not just in our nation with the problems of inflation, of mass killings, even the cost of health care. You know, We're dealing with real problems, and some of them are right in our communities and some of them right here, even in our own church. So if God is calling us to do something new or something big, it's appropriate for us to feel inadequate. That's what makes us rely on God. So God did this for Moses before he went to the Pharaoh. He did it for Samson when he was in the Philistines' temple of Dagon. If God calls you, then he will grant you the strength of the Lord by his Spirit. What does it mean when when God is with you? We read, we can read in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 to 4, the Lord was with Joseph. You know, we're, we're familiar with what happened to Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And later in the book of 1 Samuel 18, verse 14, regarding David, David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And so it doesn't surprise us that Saul prospered because the Lord was with him. And in these examples, God himself is the ultimate sign. God uses his divine favor to show other people that Saul is indeed anointed for this task. His divine favor shows up predictably in particular patterns. God's plan is compassionate, and it mitigates confusion. It brings about order. And we need order when, we're doing, when we are going through these transitions and when systems are changing, especially as Israel's moving into a monarchy. So let me illustrate this pattern in God's interaction with three groups of people. First with Samuel, then with Saul, and then with all the other people, okay? With Samuel, God commiserates with him, you know, because it's not just Samuel that's being rejected, so is God, and he reveals his choice of Saul as king and provides Samuel detailed and specific directions. Now, with Saul, what does God do? God rescues his donkeys, calls them as king, anoints him with the Holy Spirit, and provides him another heart. And with the people of God, God reveals a prophetic word um, uh, for the donkeys that would be given later to Saul. I mean, these guys are out, out and about. How do they know about the donkeys? God gave them that prophetic word for the sake of Saul. And God also gave the people, they directed that, that guy to give two pieces of bread and having, forcing him to have to deal with the repercussions of that. And he also, think about this, how would anyone know that, that Saul had been anointed, that he was chosen? So God provided the casting of lots. We, you can read about that later in, in chapter 10. But a casting of lots was to confirm for the people that indeed Saul was going to be their new king. And so, with the people, God reveals prophetic word of the donkeys, For uh, sorry, um, with, with the people, they receive through this prophetic word of the donkeys, of the bread, and of the casting of lots. This is how God interacts with us, right? We can believe what's being told to us by recognizing the signs that God provides. And so, There was a remarkably smooth change of government that happened as a result of God being with Samuel, Saul, and the people. But it was up to them, as it is up to us, to follow directions, to recognize the authority of the signs, and to choose faith over fears. Crossbridge. I'm hoping that as I summarize here, that we will always be praising God who is is the great conductor of our lives, and that we will continue and always be looking to Jesus, the King of kings, the one true king to whom all the previous kings pointed, and that we may be humbled by the example of Saul, noting that our response to God determines the outcome in many cases. Will we obey? Will we live lives that are marked by blessing? Or will we live on our own terms? You see, at the end of Saul's reign, Samuel rebuked Saul, saying, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. That truth still is relevant and speaks to us today. Saul may have started good, but we know that he failed in the end. God, who remained good, exhorted his own son, his successor, with these words, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That's First Kings 2, verses 2 to 3. Let David's words to his son Solomon remind us. The Holy Spirit's anointing, on us believers, is not detached from our obedience to his word. Obedience must accompany anointing. So when you may receive the spirit of God to follow God's direction and obey God's word, neither David nor Solomon nor any subsequent kings in Israel was able to keep God's decrees and his commands perfectly. It's only Jesus, the final Davidic king, Who is fully obedient, eternal, and the anointed king. He's the one who walks faithfully before God with all his heart and soul. The book of Samuel, like the book of Kings, is, as Eugene Peterson puts it, a relentless exposition of failure. Yet God continues to work out his sovereign purposes. God's sovereignty and power are never upstaged by imperfect leaders so we can always trust God's sovereignty whether it's in our lives it's in our church or experienced in the world so let us by the same providential guidance that established Saul as that first king of Israel glorify God by following his directions with faith and boldness let us pray Our Father in heaven, help us to follow Jesus, whom you anointed with your spirit and power. As we face opposition and enemies, we need the certainty and power of your Holy Spirit anointing. Help us never to find ourselves in the position of resisting or opposing you. Help us to be strong and courageous as we walk in your ways by faith and before you with all our heart and soul. Amen.